What's wrong, Oscar? Something wrong with this system, that's what's wrong. I don't think that two single men living alone in a big eight-room apartment should have a cleaner house than my mother. Starring Jack Lemmon. A hypochondriac. A fuss budget. Neater than neat. Cleaner than clean. No wonder his wife kicked him out. Stop that, will you? What are you doing? I'm trying to clear up my ears. Did it open up? I think I strained my throat. Walter Matthau. Another guy whose wife left him. And his pad looks like she left it a long time ago. Who wants food? What do you got? I got uh, brown sandwiches and uh, green sandwiches. Which one do you want? What's the green? See, the very new cheese or very old meat. I'll take the brown. Jack Lemon and Walter Matthau, who try to enjoy all possible delights of a shared bachelor apartment. Yeah, oh, yes, uh, bowling. Bowling is a wonderful exercise, Felix, but uh, that's, uh, that's not the kind of relaxation I had in mind. I mean, the night was made for other things. Like what? Like, unless I get to touch something soft in the next two weeks, I'm in big trouble. They're together, bringing to all America the laughter of Neil Simon's Broadway smash hit. <laughs> oh, this is really nice. Yeah. <laughs> and ever so much cooler than our place. Oh, cool. yes. yes. Oh, it's like equatorial Africa on our side of the building. Well, last night it was so bad, Gwen and I sat there in nature's own, cooling ourselves in front of the open fridge. Can you imagine such a thing? Well, I'm working at it. <laughs> <laughs> you had your chance to talk last night. I beg you to come upstairs with me. If you want to live here, I don't want to see you, I don't want to hear you, I don't want to smell you cooking. Now, kindly remove that spaghetti from my poker tape. It's not spaghetti, it's linguine. <laughs> now it's garbage. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Is It Yours? I'm Paul Spataro, and I am joined once again by the Giaconetti brothers, Luke and Jay. Say hello, Hey, guys. Paul, thanks for having <laughs> us on, man. Hey, thanks for having us, yeah. yeah it's always a pleasure, and, and as, as anybody who's listening to the show regularly knows, when I have you guys on, that means we're talking monsters or horror, <laughs> except we're not. Yeah. This is this is a, a, a change of pace for us uh, because we were talking and we realized that we were all, uh, I, I guess I'm the least of the three, but we're all fans of the uh, the odd couple. Uh, my, my fanhood stems more from the TV show because it is actually my all-time favorite show. Uh, but, I, but I love the movie as well, and I had something that I know you guys can't have done. I saw the odd couple in the movies during its original release. Yeah, no, we couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> I knew I had that one on you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what's funny is, too, is that it's uh, the three of us talking about The Odd Couple, um, and, and I know The Odd Couple uh, obviously was on Broadway, and, it has, and it's been done in other places, and they've you know done all different versions of it and stuff like that. Um, 
the odd couple when you actually look at the play itself is such a New York play. Yes. It's and to have three New Yorkers talking about it, and I'm not trying to alienate people, but it's so true. Like when you see the actual play of the odd couple, because the movie changes a few things here and there, that it while it's still New York, it makes it a little more generalized. But when you read in there, when they refer to Schraff's Deli, when they talk about like they're at the, they're at Shea Steam, like these are things that as a New Yorker, you're like, oh yeah, I know where that is. Oh yeah, I know where that well, is. It's like, yeah. and well, yeah. I mean, it's it's such a New York concept. Yeah, you know, oh, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I, you know, two 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 grown men living in a big eight room apartment. You know, that that's <laughs> a New York story. You know, that's that doesn't readily translate necessarily to any other city in the United States as well as it does to New York, because New York, more so than any other place, makes for strange bedfellows, especially when it comes to paying your rent. So yeah. that that's one of my notes right here. It's like, that's such a New York story. And it's I've always thought that, too. And I think that's one of the reasons why. You know, um, you know, Jay and I growing up in New York and, you know, we've talked about this before and, and Jay has gotten into this a lot with our dad on Bots, Bugs and Babes. You know, dad grew up in the Bronx and mom grew up in New Rochelle. So the city is a normal thing for us. You know, we understand that the, the, you know, some of the, some of the, um, the, the stuff that they do in this, in the film that's different. They have some stuff actually outside of the apartment. We see Times Square right at the beginning and that's, you know, I, I remember Times Square back before it was invaded by Muppets like it is now. You know, I remember right. Times Square in the 80s when you didn't want to hang out there. And now it's a different reason why you don't want to hang out there. But, <laughs> you know, so it, it's I, I agree. I, I thought when we when we discussed this, I said, yes, it's such a it is such a great thing to have three. You know, uh, I'm, I'm a New Yorker by birth, even though I, I live in South Carolina now. But three New Yorkers talking about the odd couple makes perfect sense. Yeah. I don't know if I've ever seen the play live. I've read the play, but I don't mm. know if I've oh, ever yeah. seen it performed live in front of me. Uh, but I think the, mo- the movie is not only kind of a love letter to New York in many ways, but it's a love letter to New York warts and all. Like, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't think the shots in the, in the movie are attempting to show a whitewashed version of New York. When they're down on the streets, you know, you see... You know, it, it's it feels steamy and somewhat dirty at some points, but it's still presented, you know, despite the fact of the contradiction of what I'm saying, it's still presented as almost a love letter to New York. And I just always get a big kick out of the scene at Shea Stadium. Yes. Oh, yeah. You know, just as, I, as, I a, as a lifelong Met fan, you know, I just. You never heard of a triple play? <laughs> <laughs> well, and, it, and you it's can such take a great your thing Franks and Beans Take your Frank Furtis. But from the beginning, though, guys, where, yes. where did you first Sorry. become acquainted with this movie? How did you, you know, did you see the TV show first and then see the movie? You know, how did, how did it come about? OK, so um, this is going to sound really weird. Dad had the odd couple, the record. And it was the live Broadway show on a record. Right. And dad was like. Because he had like he had like comedy albums. He had um, old Bill Cosby and things like that. Like there were comedy albums. Then he had recorded them from the record onto a tape. And yes, so this, this is him, right? yeah, this uh, that, yeah, that's right. This is when Dad was was moving a lot of his vinyl onto tape onto compact cassette because he finally had the setup that he could do that, and this yeah. way we could li- I could listen to him because they didn't have a turntable that was really easy to use at that time. 
Right. So dad's doing it. But the only thing is, it's not like it's high speed dubbing. It's one to one, basically recording. So you're listening to the record. So we've heard this record as it was being recorded onto a tape. And it's the original. It's was the original was the play, right? It wasn't the movie. I'm pretty sure it was the play because it was Art Carney. um, Well, Art Carney originated originated the role uh, with Walter Matthau. Right. And that's one one of the big things I wanted to talk about as we go on. Yeah, I'm saying everyone else is exactly the same, though, right? But it's just Art Carney instead of Jack Lemmon, which makes very funny because when you eventually see the movie, Jack Lemmon is so good. And that's not that Art Carney wasn't, but it's just a different voice. You're like, that kind of sounds different. But we had heard the record, and we kind of started knowing the jokes, and we kind of started knowing the lines, you know, and, and, you know, all the little things, those little things that you notice as being different. When you eventually watch the movie from the actual play itself, the little lines here, the twist here and there that make it, again, instead of saying shrafts, you say delicatessen. Instead of saying whatever, it's like little things that make it more general instead of being as super focused to New York and a certain part of New York. Um, but yeah, we had that. And then dad's like, well, you think that's funny? Let's watch the movie. Right. And I mean, talk about like crying, crying crying laughing so hard it we put it this way when luke and i were old enough to like be left home in the summertime my parents would go to work and we would be home you know shooting baskets and doing whatever and in the afternoon we'd have lunch we'd watch a movie and the movies that were in constant rotation um there were other ones we watched but it was the odd couple and major league those were the two comedies that i think we watched hundreds of times because yep. we knew and the thing is I could do the same thing with Major League. I I know when we wa- I watched The Odd Couple for this, um, Haley, who had never really watched The Odd Couple yet, I'm trying not to say every line. I can <laughs> do the entire movie. And it's not right. even fun. Like, I'm not trying to be funny. Like, it's just the way it is. It's infectious. It gets in there. Um, and then we eventually, I think WOR, Channel 11, no, no, excuse me, WPIX, Channel 11 in New York, yes. I think they started showing the replays of The Odd Couple. Right? Am I? Am I? I remember yeah. them. Yeah, I believe it was. It was either Channel Eleven or Channel Nine at that point. No, yeah, it was in syndication was, on Channel Eleven forever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm saying that, but the thing is, once we had seen the Odd Couple, then we saw the TV show, and the TV show is very funny too. Um, but it's, but it's again, it's very different because to me, um, it's very hard. You know, like when you kind of like well, Jack Lemon and Walter Matha, you know, kind of thing. Like, not that, not that Tony Randall and, and Jack Klugman were bad. It's just that it's different, you know. Yeah. Um, and I think that's one of the hardest things that the the concept of the Odd Couple sometimes has when you try to move it outside of whatever the original people know it as. You know, what I'm saying whether it's the TV show or the movie or even the play, right? That's why the new one they did on CBS. Um, well, I watched it because, um, you know, I was like, man, I really want this show to be funny. Wow, I really want this to be funny. And I'm like, wow, this show is not quite as funny as it should be. And I'm like, holy crap, I'm really stretching to find anything funny. Um, and I like Tom Lennon, right, a lot. I mean, I, you know, he, he was great on Reno 911 and uh, um, The State Eight. and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, and I like him, but M- Matthew Perry's not funny. And I'm like, oh, God. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, well, I mean, Matthew Perry's not Oscar Madison. That's, that's always been the problem. I, yes. I never, he's not believable as Oscar Madison in a way right. that Walter Matthau or Jack Klugman is believable in that role. Right. You know? Well, Jack, Jack Klugman, exactly. honestly, even more so than Walter, well, I don't, you know, I was going to say more so than Walter Matthau, but it's almost equal with the two of them that it's almost 
their non-acting persona was Oscar. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I mean, Klugman, Klugman replaced, I mean, when, when yeah, Matt did it on Broadway also. Klugman replaced him, and Klugman is great as as uh, Oscar. And I'm Oscar's my favorite character, so I'm I'm you know I'm I'm always kind of partial to that. Now, I remember yeah, watching, I mean, this, uh, this... watching you know one of those Battle of the Network Stars shows, and Jack Klugman oh. was on it. I think the Odd Couple was actually on at the time, you know, still still airing new episodes, and uh, he was shooting pool. That was his. Thing that he did in the Battle of the Network, which makes Coast. perfect sense. And, and he he <laughs> made he made a, a bad shot, and he was like, oh, I know what it is because he's wearing like a tuxedo to do this, or you know at least a nice suit. I don't really remember. But he reaches into an ashtray, grabs a bunch of ashes, and just smears them on his lapel. So now I'm ready to do this. <laughs> <laughs> and I, that that stayed oh, with man. me, you know, whatever it is, 40 years ago that he did that. That's great. So, so that's you know well, I I just want to I want to bring it to the movie a little bit and then we'll talk about the adaptation for TV and all but I guess I guess actually it, we should probably first start on Broadway uh, even though I guess none of us actually saw it on Broadway but it did I think originate. My parents might have. See, we should I'm, have I'm, I'm being on, honest. Like I said. No, no, I, <laughs> I, I don't remember if he did, but I think he they might have seen it because again, when you live in when you lived in the city, like it was not unheard of to get tickets to go to Broadway, do whatever. And this ran for a while. It was a big hit on Broadway. It wasn't like a little, you know, like you know, like oh, well, maybe we can get people. Like this was a major thing. I mean, Neil Simon was so bankable yeah. for his plays. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm trying to remember. I believe I know the odd. Co- I want to say that it won. I want to say Mathau won a Tony. And I want to say it won a Tony for best best direction, and it was nominated for best uh, best uh, play several times, but didn't win. I was actually but, yeah, I mean, it was a Tony, Tony won a Tony as well at one point. Let me just I, see. I think you're right. The, yeah. the play did start in. I'm, I'm just looking it up on Wikipedia. The play started in 1965. The movie was in 1968, so it wasn't you know I mean it's three years, but then it continued for a while I believe. Uh, well yeah. actually it says uh, let's see premiered on Broadway Plymouth Theater. March 10th, 1965, transferred to the Eugene O'Neill Theater until July mm-hmm. 2nd, 67. 964 performances. Uh, and then it's been revived numerous times. It was Walter Matthau and, and Art Carney originally. Then uh, Matthau was replaced by Klugman. And then P- Pat Hingle. That's interesting. Carney was replaced by Eddie Bracken and later Paul Dooley. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the original two were, you know, you know, Jack Klugman is probably more famous for playing Oscar than anything else. I mean, he was on, you know, some episodes wow. of Twilight Zone and a couple other things. I mean, he is, he is Quincy M.D. No, but I'm, I'm, talk, I'm talking about his claim to fame, like when he when he came into the public awareness. Yeah, I'm not going to say it. But, it was probably, you know, probably more so from his portrayal of, of Oscar. You know, before that, yeah. I don't think he was a household name. Now, he was in 12 Angry Men. Yes. Oh, wait, no, he yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Klugman was in Klugman was in Twelve Angry Men, but I'm no, but I'm just funny because if you think about it, when it's the Odd Couple, and when the Odd Couple ends in like '75, it's '70 70 to '75. In '76, we get Quincy M.D. and M.E., which runs until '83, and now it's always like it's murder, you know, kind of thing. Like, <laughs> um, thanks, Quincy. Like I don't know, I don't know how many Quincy fans, but Quincy was another one that was in syndication and it was on so you catch it every once in a while you're like hey look it's oscar madison what's he doing <laughs> and, and, look, he, and his boss's speed yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, the funny part is 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 um 
uh, of all the poker players, I mean, they're, they're all, I mean, the, the, the crew of poker players is crazy. Uh, Larry Haynes actually lives, uh, in, oh, he lived, I don't know if he's still alive right now. He lived in, um, Heritage Hills, which is in Somers, New York, which is where my dad had his liquor store. So what happens is Speed walks into my dad's liquor store <laughs> and my dad recognizes me and he goes, you're Speed. And he goes, no one, he goes, how do you even know that? He goes, my sons love the odd couple. He goes, how old are your sons? And at the time, I think we were what, like four, uh, like 15 and 13 or something like that. It was like, yeah, 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 something like that. Yeah. Something like that. We, we were like in like middle school and high school, whatever. And so we got, he came in, he, did, he brought pictures and autographed them from one to Luke and one to me. And he goes, really? He goes, he goes, he goes, they know the movie inside and out. They know the play inside out. He goes, he goes, they can do everything that he was just so amazed that anyone even recognized him. You know, because it's not like it's 1968 anymore. Yeah. You know, kind of now this is 1993, 94. Yeah. You know, kind of thing. Like it's not. You know, it's a, it's 30 years almost since. Um, but it's so funny because you think about how Walter Matthau. To me, I mean, I love Walter Matthau. He's, I mean, he, but he was great in everything, and he made a lot of things in the in the 60s into the 70s and whatever. When he's just that, you kind of can never tell exactly how old he is. But you tell he's like kind of older, but you know he's not really old yet. I, I think you know Matthew is one, Matthew is one of those guys that like you know like Athena burst forth fully grown from Zeus's head. Yes. I think he was born yeah. at like thirty eight. You know, yeah. <laughs> middle age when he was born, kind of thing. Yeah. So. Yeah. But I, I mean, he he really he really was born to play that role, though. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's you know much like Jack Klugman, like we were saying, it, it's just it's the persona that they had at least mm-hmm. publicly. <laughs> all the time yeah yeah right yeah you know and it's amazing that they both really did it and if you if you watch and i, I can I, I guess i can't help but go to comparisons of the tv show but if you watch the first season of the tv show you could see clearly uh klugman is doing oscar the same way Matthau did it and right. i'm sure that's the way that they did it when they were on broadway and that's i don't think he was doing an imitation of Matthau so much as that's the way it was done on broadway so that's what he carried over to him on the mm-hmm. play in the, in the TV show, rather. And then as the show went on into the second, third through fifth season, he kind of made it his own personality more so than the role. Yeah. Well, the first season, yeah. a lot of the stuff in the first season, uh, and that's not saying it's it's taken from the, the play or the movie, but it's a lot of the same kind of pieces, like set pieces are kind of the, like similar in mm-hmm. the first season, when you get to like the second, third, they're all different. They're also all just like, well, we're going to continue with their lives. So now they've never done it before in any way, shape or form. So you kind of can live it. You also live in the role and you get to that point. That's one of the things, um, uh, who was saying, I was listening to the day they were saying he was, when you, it was somebody who's been on TV playing the same character. He goes, when you play the character for as long as I have, you, you know that character better than anybody. You know it better than the writers. You know it better than, and you just know what they would do and what they would say and how they would act and how they would dress. And, well, that, be, that became know, a big thing with the Star Trek movies with uh, yeah, yeah, with, yeah. with Leonard Nimoy. Where, you know, he he would be the one who would kind of get he would he didn't so much have script approval as they would consult with him and he would go through it and say no, Spock wouldn't do this, Spock wouldn't do that. And he he would make the corrections on it, and and from you know all versions I've heard made it better, because he knew the character so well, he had lived with it so many years, and and I think he was also the most reasonable as far as, you know, like you probably couldn't have Shatner do it because he would just say no, Kirk should do everything, <laughs> you know. Well, yeah, but, we 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 got that. It was called Star Trek Five, you know. Yeah. So. <laughs> 
Well, the thing also is, as far as um, Mathau as uh, as as Oscar, is that I mean that it even goes beyond just the role of Oscar Madison. If you watch, go back and watch the first season of The Simpsons, and Dan Castellaneta is playing Homer Simpson as Walter Mathau. He's even uh, affecting a bit of Mathau's voice into his performance as Homer. If you watch an early episode of The Simpsons, Castellaneta sounds vastly different than he does kind of in what we think of as kind of the, the peak years or even now into the current stuff with The Simpsons because he was trying to do Walter Mathau because of the idea of kind of a, you know, kind of boorish, slobby kind of guy. Mm-hmm. That it, that Mathau, right? So even that that influence of him, and he was such a an, an instant hit as this character, and such a good find that Simon was able to get someone who so embodied the character of Oscar Madison that it it add it adds a level of sincerity to the performance that you buy. You know, when when um, the first night that Felix is staying with Oscar and they're walking through the city. And they're sitting on the park bench. And he says, uh, you know, for the past 10 years, been one of the richest, one of the best paid sports writers in New York. I've saved $3 in pennies. You know, that, that, that whole, you buy all of it because even though it's exaggerated, you know, there's probably a lot of truth to everything he's saying there. Yeah. For a 10th wedding anniversary, I took her to the New York Rangers <laughs> Detroit Red Wings hockey game where she got hit by a puck. Yeah, which, which is a line from the TV show that Blanche gave. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I still don't know why she left me. That's how possible to live with. I am. <laughs> but now, now just again to, to talk a little bit about the uh, the, the movie as opposed to the TV show. Yeah. Uh, while the TV show, again, you know, I think you, you even hit on it a little bit that it started out the first season, kind of building on some of the stories from the movie and working with that, and kind of had a similar feel early on. Eventually, it fell more into a conventional sitcom type standard, and you know some of the stories got a little outlandish, but some to me those are some of the funniest ones. Uh, but when I look back now, I had seen the movie back in 1968. I was five years old, and my older sister and her friends were going to see it. I think my mother pawned me off on them, uh, so I ended up going to see it. And 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 honestly, the only memory I have of sitting and watching it. Uh, was the scene when he takes the uh, the pasta and he throws it up against the wall? <laughs> now it's garbage. That's that was the that was the only thing that I remember like coming home and talking to people about, you know. But I guess at five years old, you know, that's that's you know you, you're not getting any of the subtlety of the performances. Uh, but you know, I've watched it numerous times since then. And in comparison to the TV show, while it's funny, I don't think it's slapstick funny the way the TV show was. It's more funny. It's more of a comedy tragedy kind of thing. Uh, it's it's almost you know it's almost what eventually developed into a dramedy. Because well, but that it, it you really know, that's, is that's these guys. Deal, yeah, and it really is these yeah. guys dealing with their you know their their idiosyncrasies and you know the fact you know coming to grips with what caused their marriages to fail and learning how to you know, to work together and then eventually, you know, not so much. Uh, yeah. But it, you know, and, and yeah, you're, you're right. I mean, that, that's, if you look at the works of Neil Simon, that's very much what he does. You know, it's, it's, he's, I've, I've always thought of Simon as a very humanistic writer. 
his characters are believable because especially again, if, if you, you know, uh, knew or grew up in New York, then you, you knew people like this, or you knew people that, you know, you're, you knew adults like this if you were younger or whatever. So yeah, it, it does have, again, that sincerity. It's, it's realistic in certain ways and then obviously over the top and, and ridiculous in other ways, you know, at the very, at the very end, what is, you know, uh, Felix says to him is, Oh, marriages may come and go, but the game goes on. You yeah. know, that that's, they've, they've, they've come to grips with the fact that, okay, this can't work. But we're still friends. And that, that's, right. that's one of the other things to me that's always is such a New York thing. How did, you know, Felix and Oscar become friends? You know, because I've, I've always figured it had to be, it had to be some type of something involving like a, a journalistic thing because one's right. a sports writer and the other's a TV news writer. So he must have had some common friend or something and they hit it off well enough to say, Oh, you should come join our poker game. Right. <laughs> and he keeps showing up at the filthy apartment every week, so he must well, they the must have is, some kind of relationship. <laughs> the thing is, we, we don't actually, except for Murray, we don't know. I mean, we know that uh, um, Roy's the accountant. accountant. Roy's the accountant. Yeah. What I'm saying is, the other guys could he could be both of their accountants. He could be right. like, I mean, there's some relationship between these guys, and it's always to me really funny when Murray comes in because you're like, uh, my friend Murray the cop, you know, kind of thing. And that's yeah. like the way it's all because there's such a, there's such a, like you look at them, and you're like, yeah, these guys could totally be friends. Like I'm looking at them going, there's, you know what, this doesn't have, and this is the, and I think this is one of the 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 problems with modern movies. None of these guys are like. Like there is no Chris Hemsworth sitting in there. There's no ruggedly handsome guy there. They look like real people. Yeah, all of yeah. them. They look that like is real people. True. And you know what? That's what makes it so real. When I was a little little kid, I believed that because like when you would see the like uh, when we were really young, you'd see old newsreels. Like my dad was like, "Well, that was back in the '50s, like or whatever." They was black and white. So to me, black and white meant it was real. Color means it could be a movie. So I thought everything in black and white was real. Like King Kong was real. And <laughs> I was like four. Dad would explain to me, no, it's just old. It doesn't mean that. But when you, right? I wish I was joking, right? And I was like, oh, no, okay. No, 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 no. I've, I've, I've explained to my kids that, you know, back in the 40s and 50s, they didn't have color. It was, you know, the whole world was black and white. And the well, younger ones still kind of believe me on that one, I yeah, think. So. But Dad had explained it. They just because just it's old doesn't mean it had to be real. It could be a movie. But when you look at that poker game, Right. That looks like a real poker game. The the, 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 the apartment is filthy. The, there's smoke in the air. Everything's grimy. There's brown sandwiches and green sandwiches, you know, kind of thing. Like, <laughs> not going to eat that. Oh, yeah, I saw milk stand wasn't a cotton. You know what I'm saying? Like things like that, like that 100 percent. I'm starting to recognize the garbage. Right. This yeah. is the, that's the whole problem. That looks like could have been just they knocked on someone's door. Say, can we film your poker game? Because it looked like yeah. that. And in New York City, right, kind of thing, like when, when, when the, the, the classic, when the cop, when Murray pulls up in the cop car, you're like, that's an old school cop car. That's a New York City cop car. There's no doubt about that. Like the, just when Felix is walking around, all those little things, you're like, this looks real. Like why? Because they did film it in the city and it made it as real yeah. as possible. But it doesn't feel like, hey, this is New York City, wink, wink. We mean Toronto. There is no, this is this is New York City. This is grimy yeah. and dirty. It, this is exactly what Larry Cohen later did with movies like Q, and they did with movies like Chud and Alligator. They filmed them in real places they're supposed to be taking place, so it looks real. 
That right. was one of the great parts about Neil Simon is because this play, the play really only takes place in the apartment. I mean, they, they, they expand it for the movie, you know, to kind yeah. of have the outside scenes. But this is what makes this feel so real and so like – and I think that's why this movie to me is so funny. Um, and, and, and I'm, I'm not saying that the, the – I like the TV show, but the TV show eventually became kind of different. This movie is so funny because you're like it's – the, it's the – you're laughing at not – you're laughing at the situation that they're now in, not that they're doing crazy stuff like that. You know, you would see in like it's a mad, 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 mad world, which is very, which is a contemporary of this movie, right? It's not like that kind of crazy stuff, but it's like here they are in there, and just the way they're delivering lines, nothing is winked at the camera, nothing is how funny are we? You know, even when he starts, like, <laughs> it's not spaghetti, it's linguine. And he goes, and he throws it against the wall. Goes now, it's garbage because you would see someone could actually say that. You know what I'm saying? They, the the lines feel lived in and they feel felt real instead of it being like, what's a snappy line we can come up with here? It's not Neil Simon sitting in a room with like 20 writers. It was Neil Simon at a typewriter. Yeah, you know? yeah but now now sometimes nowadays when you you see when they adapt a play to a movie and they try to be true to the play. It just doesn't feel right. It it almost feels oh, yeah. like it's not a movie and like they're just filming the play. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I, the most recent example of that I could give you, and even though it's a musical, would be Jersey Boys. And that's directed mm. by Clint Eastwood, mm. who is actually, you know, a fine director. Uh, but it doesn't it doesn't seem to breathe on its own. It doesn't seem to have a no. life of its own. It just seems like it's a filming of the play. Whereas the odd couple feels like a movie. It it, yeah. it does not feel like you're just watching a play. You could obviously see, you know, if you're watching it and somebody says, oh, yeah, this was a play, you could easily see how it's done as a play. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't feel like you're watching yeah. a play. And I, I think, you you know, Jason, you kind of hit on some of that with saying how they, you know, they filmed outside of the apartment every once in a while. You know, the, they they went, you know, on the search for Oscar for Felix rather in the in the uh, in the cab or or you know, like I said, my my oh, favorite, the, you know, when they're yeah, chasing they're the cop cars. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, uh, yeah, I said cop. Well, the, I said the, one one yeah, yeah, one thing I do want to mention, and I've, I've got, and I'll, I'll get back on on topic. You talk about the outdoor scenes; those are the added scenes, and I mentioned. Times Square, and then you know Felix goes to the 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 club, and he goes to the flop house. Uh, when he is shopping for to make dinner for the double oh date, God. he goes to a bohack. Bohack. They went to the bohack in Masspath out in Queens. We used to have a bohack right around the corner from my house where I grew up. Yeah, the last bohack closed in 1977. So that. That that is a that is an actual bohack that they went to. So any any yep. you know any people you know uh, listeners who were you know living in New York in the sixties and seventies, you may have shopped at a bohack, uh, you know. So and it, it, I, I find grocery stores because they're so regionalized so funny anyway. You know, I mean, uh, growing up in New York, I we went A M P, Wallbounds, Shoprite, uh, Pathmark. My wife loves Shoprite because you know Shoprite has the answer, but we don't. I have shop right down here. We have Bilo and Publix and you know Food Lion and all that. So the Grub yeah. Hub, as we call it. But uh, the 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 advantage I think that this has, and you you're saying like you know some other um, more recent uh, Broadway adaptations to film that kind of fell flat in in direction. The one that immediately sprung to mind was the Nathan Lane and Matthew Broderick version mm-hmm. of the produced, 
which is so directed to try. I mean, it's intentionally directed to attempt to be the play. It's not, you know, and, and that, that's kind of, that's kind of meta anyway, because the producers was a film about Broadway that got turned into a Broadway play and then turned back into a film. With, well, there's the, so many the, degrees of separation. Whereas right. in The Odd Couple, you know, odd, the film The Odd Couple, directed by Gene Sachs, who, um, you know, was a, was a Broadway director, right, won, right. you know, won, won several Tony Awards. And, you know, then you had Neil Simon writing the screenplay. So you had two guys that we had one that knew how to direct in the, the Broadway style. And then you had Simon taking his screenplay, taking his, his, uh, book, uh, you know, uh, Broadway book, air quotes up to the mic, and turning that into a screenplay. So he knew the ways to make the changes in order to get this to to play on screen. And the direction is wonderful because, like I said, the majority of it takes place in the apartment. And so we learn the layout of the apartment very well as the film goes on. We know, you know, where you know where the living room is in relation to the kitchen, in relation to the hallway, where the bedrooms are, and all that. And because it's a, a standing set. The camera has to work around where the walls yeah. are and all that. You can't cheat. So it, it gives it a very real depth of field and depth of space. It, it is a real space that they exist in and it looks, it doesn't look like a play because in a play, you can't have, uh, like, like when they're in the kitchen, the camera is shooting at the other angle, the, the opposite angle to keep the axis of action so that we can't see that angle. If they were in the kitchen in on, on a Broadway stage, we wouldn't be able to see where they are because there are walls around it. So right. it uses, it uses the fact that it, it is not limited to the one, you know, the, the, the imaginary wall that the audience is, is taking the place of as you would in a, in a stage play. So it, it Sachs does a wonderful job directing this. And I, it, it doesn't get a lot of credit. You know, we always think Plainly. the odd couple immediately, Neil Simon is what pops in your mind, but Sachs does brings a lot to this, to this, uh, the film adaptation. Absolutely. I, I totally agree with, with, you know, basically you, you've capsulized everything that I was saying very well. So mm. thank you. Um, one, one, one of the thing interesting like, things about quick, adapting it. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Jason. Oh, real quick. Say? Just want to say this real quick. Um, and Luke was saying about <laughs> the producers real quick. And I don't want to go um, leave the aqua. But the, but the thing with the producers, the original movie was was at Zero Mostel and uh, Gene, Wilder Gene Wilder of the, of the producers. If if you've never seen it, that movie is well worth watching because it's very funny. Um, the play of the producers, um, I, I seriously was crying. When we were watching it on Broadway, I did not enjoy the movie version uh, that they, the Nathan Lane, Matthew Broderick movie version, because the play is, is as crazy as the play is. And the play is actually pretty nuts. So you think about like what it is about, you know, you're making a play about, a, you want know, to, you want to make a bomb because you make more money off it, you know, bombing than when being successful. The play itself um, was great and it sucks you in. The movie I didn't feel had that. The difference being is because, that was a, a movie made into a play, and then the play was then made into a movie again. Um, it kind of lost something. Whereas The Odd Couple, as a play, because I've actually seen some parts of the play, because some of that stuff does exist. It's, it's rare, but there's some film of it. Um, it, it like Luke was saying, is it's 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 such it's a set, right? So you're you know everything has to be in certain places, and you can't. It's not just a real. It's not just really a guy like like when 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 Felix is kind of running away from Oscar. There's a guy with a camera like walking with him. Like you can feel the movement in there that you can't get 
on a stage. And I think that's one of the advantages here. They took full advantage of the fact that, hey, we now can have a physical set. We now can have it be in Central Park. We can now have him be at the at the 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 dance bar there where where the 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 absolute I'm, I'm sorry like i know those women are trying hard but like i i don't find them like he's like trying to order the scotch he's like screaming at him and you can't hear you the woman just so so like oh i'm just dancing whatever you know, kind you of know it, it was the 60s that's what i that's my place <laughs> with that that was the, as was the style of the times, or so yeah. i'm told yeah, but, but well, the nice thing about what, what you're saying, yeah. though, is that they managed to do that and yeah. not lose the feel of the play. Right, right. Yeah. You know, and, and, you know, again, you don't feel like you're watching a play when you're watching the movie. You feel like you're watching a movie, but they didn't, you know, the the feel that you were supposed to get watching the play, you still get that from the movie. Yeah. And that's a, that's a tough balancing act because I think sometimes you go too far away from it and then it just doesn't have that same kind of thing or – you know, I think the examples that we're given, you know, the I said Jersey Boys, you mentioned the producers. I think you could also go to the film adaptation of uh, uh, Phantom of the Opera, which is, mm-hmm. you know, it's very, oh, very the, true to the play. It's, you know, the music right. is all the same. And it, it's gives with you Gerald, with, with Gerard Butler as as Eric. Right. Yes. In that one. Yeah. But but if you watch oh. it, it, it's 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 almost boring to watch. Right. Yeah. You know, because well, that, that, I, yeah, I think because you yeah. feel like if I'm not seeing it live, I don't want to see it at all because it never immerses you in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, real, real quick about the 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 dancer. The yes. dancer is actually played by Angelique Pettijohn. Oh, um, from Star Trek was, fame. Uh, from Star Trek, the Games Masters of Triskelion. Thank. That's all I had to say. <laughs> <laughs> We're two true freaks. We have to. We are content. You know, contractually obligated. To mention either Star Wars, Star Trek, or Superman at some point in a podcast. So there and you if go. You're, if you're not familiar, <laughs> if you are not familiar with her based on the name, uh, Google her because it's if nothing else, just do an image search. It's worth it. Yeah, it's worth the Google, like the Joker says in Lego Batman. Worth the Google. Um, <laughs> the, so the now, uh, <laughs> you know, Walter Matthau came from Broadway doing it, and the Pigeon Sisters came from. Yes, from Broadway doing it, and I, you know, I, I have the, uh, I have the complete series of the Odd Couple on DVD, and there are, you know, some extra features on there. And in the first episode, uh, they, I think it's a, I think it's a commentary. I'm not sure, but it, it's either a commentary or a little bonus, you know, making of thing. Uh, but they have one of the Pigeon Sisters, and she was saying how they really felt very uncomfortable when they were making this movie. Because they all wanted Art Carney to play Felix. And they didn't mm-hmm. really have any problem with Jack Lemon, but they just felt that they were being kind of untrue. You know, like they, they, like they felt like they were cheating on, on Art Carney. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think it's kind of interesting that way. But, uh, you know, that, it, you know, I, I, this is the first time that Jack Lemon picked up the role. He hadn't played it on Broadway. And apparently he kept asking, you know, well, what about this? What about that? And they, they almost felt guilty helping him to right. to, to play the part, uh, yeah. which, which is pretty interesting. I mean, he definitely made it his own. Uh, I I never saw how Art Carney did. You guys actually have an advantage over me because you've at least heard audio of Art Carney mm-hmm. doing it. Yeah, yeah. So I, I don't know Carney's how much you've I'd be honest with you. When you hear Art Carney do it, 
like it's hard because it's our carny. Like you, like I immediately start thinking like, wow, I, I kind of, you know, the voice, like, again, I'm not what you're, you're hearing it, right. You know, the voice you're like, like, so in your head, you don't picture because once you've seen, uh, you know, Jack Lemon do it, like you hear a different voice. So you're not picturing a guy playing that role to me. I was like, okay, so I'm picturing our carny. Like, okay, so I know who this is. Like, and I know, I don't like, you know, the you're kind of picturing that, that kind of, you know, like, uh, I mean, it's like, like, it's like, to me, he always is kind of in black and white. It's hard to, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> I'm just being honest with you. It's what it is. You know, yeah, thing. Because you just hear that and it just elicits something different. But what I mean, I mean, again, and, and while they might not have felt, uh, you know, uh, comfortable with, um, you know, like feeling like they were cheating on, uh, you know, they were kind of cheating on our carny when they had this happen. To me, uh, Jack Lemon just, I mean, he he steals scene. I love Oscar. Don't get me wrong. Like uh, Walter Matthau, I love Walter Matthau, right? But you know, Jack Lemon steals scenes. Like you know, he's not even trying to, but he's just so good because his idiosyncrasies are just so crazy sometimes, and he plays them up so well. And I think what happens is when Tony Randall wound up, you know, playing playing Felix on the TV show, Tony Randall had to make them his own. In the first season, you see some of Tony Randall trying to do. Uh, you know, Jack Lemon, and it doesn't work as well until he, Tony Randall, starts finding his own little ways of moving. You know what I'm saying? Like right. to me, Tony Tony Randall himself is. I mean, I always think of him being a character. It's so funny because what do you think of Tony Randall? I, I always think of, of course, you know, The Odd Couple, and then I think of Gremlins too. But uh, right. you know, kind of thing, right? Because it's true, right? Uh, but it's, I, I don't it's, go right so, to Gremlins too personally, but uh, sorry. Well, well, him and Gremlins too. When he's doing it, he's doing a lot of Felix. He's doing a lot of Felix Unger stuff in there. Like he does. Like he's like, well, we can watch Street Crime, but I think that's free. It. Like it's just the way he talks. Yeah. He's he's so smart with his glasses. Well, he like, is. He is. Uh, well, yeah. His his Felix is very erudite, and yes. and the brain obviously was very erudite in Gremlins yeah. too. That's what you know, I'm saying. The thing, like, is, the, the thing with, so with Lemon, Jack yeah, yeah, and and the thing with Lemon is that you know Lemon had such a um, a range of roles that he would play in his career that there you know and and Paul you were making this point earlier that there is a certain small bit of pathos and drama in this broad comedy, and Lemon does really well with that there, there's some subtle bits where you do really feel for him you know before he's you know and, and but then it, the scene will inevitably switch to comedy when he's in the flop house you know and he's and he's going to kill himself and he's got you know he's still fastidious about his suicide note and and the pictures and all that mm-hmm. and you you do feel for this guy who's uh, who's living on that he's on that razor's edge right now and then he throws his back out trying to open the window. So it, it immediately takes him back. <laughs> and then when he comes to the apartment and, uh, you know, that the, he, he doesn't know that all the other guys know. Right. And he's like, Oh, has anybody right, called? Right, no, right. no, nobody called. Nobody called. Well, didn't call. Well, if nobody called, then, uh, then nobody called, you know? So there, there's little bits with it that you can, you get that again, that, that feeling of, of pathos for this character who, you know, at that point, we don't know Felix very well. We know that he is, his wife has thrown him out and he is in a really bad place. And then we learn that it may not be entirely her fault because he is an impossible <laughs> person to live with. Uh, she yeah, was going to have the room so. repainted. I'm going to have yours dipped in bronze. But, uh, 
<laughs> Did you have any cream soda? Uh, no, uh, we got a roof beer. You want a roof beer? No, no. Felt like a cream soda. Like a cream soda. But the way he says that, the difference though is this too. Jack Lemon is from Massachusetts. Art Carney is from Mount Vernon, New York. Right? Right. There's a very, there's a difference in two, like the way, I mean, I'm not saying that that, like, but Art Carney's a New Yorker. Like Art Carney and the Honeymooners, that's a New York thing. Like it's all New York. That's Art Carney. Right? What Felix brings, what, what Jack Lemon brings to Felix, which I think is what, to me, sets it apart, is that he feels like he's outside of what this is supposed to be. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, he doesn't have, like, he does not have a New York accent. Like, you don't hear any Brooklyn, Bronx, Queens, Long Island. You don't hear any of that in him. The other guys, you kind of hear it in them a little bit. Like, yeah. you can kind of hear it in the way they're talking. And, and again, it's not trying to be, but it, he kind of makes him, that's why he holds himself like, well, I need to do this, this, and that. And he holds himself to like, like to a different standard, which Tony Randall takes to a whole new level on the TV show, which is right. why Tony Randall's character is so different and good. But I'm saying to me, and again, I'm, and again, not trying to narc, knock Art Carney, but to me, Jack Lemon, you, you feel like Os, if you like Felix doesn't quite fit with this group. He's friends with them. But you're like, yeah, I don't know about this guy. He kind of feels like he's he's the one piece in this group. Like even when even when they're you know like when, when just when they're talking, the way Walter Matthau delivers lines, like you know he want you know what you want to do next week? Have a luau. They don't even play poker like that in Hawaii. Like just that like <laughs> you know just oh my god you know like it's so like the city and the way he talks and everything is just whatever. And they're like you know. Anyone smell that? It's the cards. He washed the cards. Like things the like cards. that. Like, well, he washed the cards. The card. Of course yeah. he washed. Of course he would. I come in the kitchen and hear you moaning footprints, footprints. I didn't say they were yours. They are mine, David. I have feet that make prints. You know, prints. like that, like that, that absurdity of what he's doing because he doesn't see it as wrong because he's outside of this. And why can't well, he be that's, that's, clean? Well, and the but the, and and that's the thing is that he is yeah he is something of the outsider, but he, he but he even deep down he knows it because mm-hmm. one of my one of my favorite lines in this and it's it's a line that's exclusive to the movie yes. is he said you know we went to marriage counseling like he wrote across my chart lunatic it's not exclusive to the movie because it made its way to the TV show oh well I meant I meant not I meant originated not the in the movie yeah, nice. yes originated the in the movie. actually, so, actually so, in the in yeah. the TV show Felix delivers the line Felix says they went to a counselor and that's what the counselor wrote on his chart yeah that's, that's Felix says, says it in the, he says oh, in the movie too okay, it's when they're, when they're talking about the park that said it okay yeah, yeah. No, Oscar's he, the one because I don't know why she left me you know kind of, yeah. <laughs> that's the one possible but, I was to live with but he, <laughs> but he obviously you know he understands that He's not that, you know, he is impossible to live with, but he can't help himself. Right. It's right. like, guys, well, where's your coaster? Yeah, it, <laughs> it, it, it predates the diagnosis of OCD. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Nowadays, it's a, as in the immortal words of Mike Bailey, it's a desperate cry for help. That's what the story yeah. really is. Well, <laughs> the thing is, I think that's one of the reasons why this, this, uh, why the odd couple works so well at the time. And then it worked again. Cause remember the, 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 the TV series is into the early into mid seventies and why it doesn't necessarily work as well now. Um, because now we know full well, like, you know, people are like, well, that guy's just strange. Well, maybe that guy's autistic. 
Oh, that guy's got this. Well, he has OCD. Like everything has a label and a thing and a whatever. So when you start looking at that now, you're like, okay, well, he's clearly like uh, he's clearly got OCD. That guy actually, he probably played a character. It might be autistic. He might be, you know, whatever. Like it's you, people. It's just too much now. Back then, no. they weren't worried about that he has he had OCD. He just was a neat freak. That's all it was. Right. Like yeah. I, he's obsessed. He's obsessed with being neat, you know. And um, you know. And that's like, why when they well, tried to revive it, you know, in the recent CBS one, work. they had to, they yeah. had to like dial it down a little bit. Yep. Yeah. And and yeah. I think that's part of the problem too, is that when you when you start altering things and having to dial things back, things are the reason why comedies were funny when they come out and might not hold up. Like you know, people are like, well, that you can't say that now. That's offensive. Um. If you, I mean, I know, I know we're not talking Mel Brooks movies, but is there any Mel Brooks movie that's not, that doesn't have offensive stuff in it? Like, right. it's all, I mean, Blazing Saddles is all offensive, but <laughs> it's so funny. It's unbelievable. And I know you're not supposed to think it's funny anymore, but that movie's hysterically funny. But David was made. A lot of that stuff was like, okay, well, yeah. Well, I mean, Mel Brooks well, is making fun I mean, of everybody. But it's, it's yeah, offensive well, Mel, Mel Brooks. in a more innocent way. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's offensive. You couldn't in a, say those things. Yeah. You couldn't put those right. things you on can't, the screen. Well, yeah. The the thing about Blazing Saddles is that it's offensive and it's broadly offensive, but it's subversive. Oh yeah. You know. I mean, the the the. I'll, I'll be completely honest. You know, the, the the there's a bit in Blazing Saddles that for years, you know, I, it never dawned on me until you know I'm, I became into the 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 familial situation that I'm in now, and that's with. All the when when uh, Bart's giving his flashback, his origin, right, yes. and the the wagon train gets attacked by the whole the entire Sioux Nation, you know, yeah. and the chief <laughs> the chief is played by Mel Brooks. Well, they ride up, and they take one look and go Schwarzes, and I didn't. When you know what that word means, that makes a that is a lot funnier. <laughs> it's like you could I don't know again could you get a because it, it's subversive yes it's it's a it's a word they probably shouldn't be using but it's it used in a subversive way it's making it ridiculous you know it's it's you look at that film and Bartsy you know Bart and the kid are the only ones with any moral character whatsoever you know and they're the ones that get treated like garbage throughout the entire film especially Bart. You know, it's like yeah. in 20 years, they may shake your hand in broad daylight, you know, but uh, so it, it, it's it's hard there. You're you're right. We've we've gotten to a point now where we've we've become so we it's it's weird. We've almost become so progressive that now we have to be conservative because we're so progressive about being aware of everything that now we're afraid to express things in a ridiculous or subversive manner. And uh, yeah, I've said yeah, I've so said on several occasions that, you know, political correctness is kind of a death knell for a lot of comedy. Right. Yeah. Because it doesn't think, allow yeah. you to get to broad comedy. Right. And that's the problem here is that this movie is so funny. Even to this day, you can watch the movie and find it very funny. But I think what happens is it some of the stuff that they do, besides the fact that certain things don't exist anymore and like, you know, whatever, or like they're not the way things are done nowadays. It's this movie's funny on the level because you're not worried about whether Oscar is ocd or whatever it's just he's the neat guy and and felix is i mean and felix is the neat guy and oscar's the messy guy that's all that yeah. is you don't need to be deeper than that you don't need to get into like well, why is he like this or why is whatever you know like i mean the way like you know nice language in front of the children like people yeah. like, oh my god she's swearing in front of a child oh my god could that happen? like 
Jesus oh. oh, the other day someone said, "What's the most commonly f- used phrase in your house?" And people are like, "Are you serious?" Whatever. And I said, "Mine's just the f word." Because I swear to God, I'm going to say that because I'm like, "What the?" You know, because it happens, right? Because, because it's true. It's like, "What?" Are you gotta be kidding I, me. But people are I, so I afraid. Think, yeah. I you think know, the most commonly. I think the most commonly said phrase in my house is stop running in the house. Oh my God. Well, that's another story, but I'm saying people are so afraid. Like like, that, that scene is funny. He's, he's joking about not paying child support, right? Which is not a joke. You have not a joke. You can't joke about not paying for child support. And what does he say? He goes, he goes with my bills and my expenses, a prisoner takes home more pay than I do. Right. It's, He's making light of the fact he's not paying child support, right? Or he, he wasn't paying child support, right? And but again, it's not like we're sitting there going, "Oh my god!" Like how could he be such a deadbeat? It's it's just what it is. Like it's part of the broad sense of this is what this guy's world is. And it, well, I, I think I think and, and we've mentioned it's a mad 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 world, which is kind of a contemporary you know of the time kind of thing. That movie is so absurd at times. Yeah, that there, there's you know, nothing that, that that's that in, you know, you, you mentioned that we had our go to movies back in the day. Oh, yeah. uh, in addition to the odd couple in Major League, I would also put Necessary Roughness oh, and uh, the on dream that team. list and the Dream Team. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> this the odd couple and it's a mad, 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 mad world were two of our go to movies when we'd have all of our friends just descend on the house. And our house became like the de facto place for whatever reason, you know, mostly I think because we had the biggest TV and the most movies and, you know, and, and as, as Jay and dad have talked about on, again, on box, bugs and babes, our, our dad was a very early, very early VHS adapter, like, like, you know, first generation VHS. So we always had hundreds of movies to watch in our house. So picking a movie is tough. So we had yeah, yeah. the certain ones you'd go to, and those were the two comedies, for whatever reason, were The Odd Couple, and it's a mad, 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 bad role. And as you said, close in time to each other in the, the, the mid to late 60s. Two, the, the difference is, is that, as, as we've talked about on this, on this very podcast, is that there's, a, there's <laughs> realism and sincerity to The Odd Couple. It's a mad, mad, yes. mad, mad world is so absurdist and ridiculous that nothing about this is even approaches reality in any capacity. You said this woman was vulnerable, kid. What are you doing to me? But uh, he's going in and out when they're he's, he's wrecking these. You're ripping the place apart. So that's you know, and, and that was and and that, but in a, in a broader sense, that does yeah. represent you know because that this was the this was the changing face of comedy. You know, it's a mad, 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 mad world is looking backwards. If you look at all the stars in it, they, they were all on the downside of yes. their careers. Whereas Neil Simon in the, that time frame, he was on the upswing of his career. Neil Simon was, you know, young, hot kid writing these, these great modern things. So you, you do kind of see both sides of it. And I think that's, they, they both work in, cause they, they exist in different spaces. You know, the, the odd couple works really well as a period piece. It's such a slice of, of life from this point in the sixties. And it, it's, and it's very, it rings very true because of that. And, you know, we, we've, um, you, you've talked about some of the, the PC things and all that. Not, not so much a PC thing, but something that I did not know and discovered while doing a little bit of research for this is that Simon wrote a female version of the odd couple, which yeah. is very creatively named the female odd couple. And, <laughs> 
what the now what the, a lot of times what they will do is you'll get a uh, a theater troupe that will uh, will do um, they'll do the odd couple and the the oh I'm trying I don't have the names of the characters here but they will have the uh, the 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 cuckoo pigeon sisters the girls who play the cuckoo pigeon sisters will then play the two leads Florence and Olive of the female version and then. Uh, Oscar and Felix will play uh, the dates who are the Constanzuela brothers, Manolo and Jesus, a pair of Latin lovers. <laughs> now, so, I, know they, I know they did a female version with uh, Rita Moreno and Sally Struthers. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I, I don't recall the exact circumstances. If it was a TV movie or, you know, what how they did that. But I do remember those actresses playing the parts. I don't know if you have any familiarity with that. I I don't have that. Nope. I, I, I think that was a TV. I think that was a TV movie, to be honest with you. But the um, I, I have and not then seen they that. Did, they did the black version of it, which used the original TV series scripts, and that was uh, Ron Glass and uh, Demond Wilson. Mm-hmm. That only lasted one season, I believe, didn't it? Yes. And then they yeah. also had the Oddball Couple, which was the animated Hanna Barbera yep. version of it. <laughs> because the, as we uh, you know Hanna-Barbera never saw an, uh, an easy adaption of something they didn't like yeah they had Spiffy and, <laughs> Spiffy and Fleabag was a, a, a fastidious cat and a sloppy yeah. dog but uh now do you, so, 1968 they're making this do you know how much money they paid to make it oh hang on I might have that uh, uh, yeah budget was 1.2 I <laughs> yeah, the budget was uh, was one point two million dollars was the and, stated budget. And the box office was forty four and a half million. So that's a huge, huge hit. Yeah. yeah. Well, my I mean, I can say my dad said to us, he goes, "This movie was a huge success when it came out, and people were looking forward to it because people because again, the play was only playing in New York, and people were really because the play was very popular. But again, you know." This, this movie's playing everywhere and it became very funny and it just it just was word of mouth was you this is a funny movie you gotta see this movie kind of thing you know so um it yeah, was I, odd you know what you know what outgrowth in 1968 number one is obvious in 1968 you want to venture a guess what was uh, say it again i said you, you want to venture a guess as because it was number it was number four for the year of 1968 really yes so there are three films above it. Number one for the year, to me, would have been the first one I would have thought of in 1968. Hmm. 2001 A Space Odyssey? 2001 A Space Odyssey, Space that Odyssey. is right. Yeah, the yeah. movie Dad and I have bagged on over and over again for not being very good. <laughs> but not being good? There, okay, so... It, I'm, I'm not going to... I think that may be too far of okay. a tangent to take. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, just real quick... Um, there have been, um, at times people have felt that dad and I may be bad mouth movies on bots, bugs, and babes. And then I've corrected them and said, no, just 2001, a space odyssey and Cleopatra. Cleopatra Nothing else yeah. really gets bad mouthed by <laughs> us because we do tend to like a lot of movies and it's not like we're bad mouthing them. Cleopatra is just way too long and 2001, a space odyssey. Well, 
you know, there are better movies than that. No. But you know, so no, I'll, I'll, no, Cleopatra's not a good movie. Let's not let's let's call let's let's be honest here. But in in any event, not not relitigating two thousand one A Space Odyssey. Right, right, all right, I'm right. gonna say is that my my favorite bit about two thousand one A Space Odyssey. You know what else? What other sci fi film came out in nineteen sixty eight? The Green Slime. Okay, somewhere between the, one I was the Green Slime and two thousand one A Space Odyssey lies the truth. But uh, yeah, Planet of the Apes also. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what I was going to yeah. say. But but do you understand my point? Is that somewhere in between those two, you know, lies you know the you know the the real deep truth of the universe? I think. Um, but number two was Funny Girl, and that number was... three was The Love Bug. So it's like this is an interesting group of movies here at the Funny top, Girl and then number 68. five. Yeah. Funny Girls, 1968. Well, remember, this was before the era of the blockbuster summer right. release. That came with mm-hmm. full movies chores. Yes, oddly yeah, enough. And and but just just for my own, my brother and I's, and you know, Paul, I, I don't know where you stand on this, but I know Jay uh, will appreciate this. Number five was Bullet. Okay. Oh my God. <laughs> the best car chase of all time. I love Bullet. <laughs> <laughs> the, the problem is that Bullet. I don't again not to get off on tangent here, but the thing is in Bullet when you watch it, and, I, and again, um, my wife, I showed my wife Bullet when we first started dating. When it first came out on DVD, I had to buy. That's one of the first DVDs I ever bought was Bullet, and we yep. watched it at my in-laws' house. And Luke, uh, you were watching. And it was I don't know if, if TJ was up or not or no, whatever. No, 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 no. This 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 is before I met TJ. Yeah. Okay. Well, you were watching. You, mom, and dad had watched Dad because I bought a copy for me and a copy for Dad, and they were watching it at their house, at our, our house, and I was over at Kelly's, and I watched it with her and her dad and her mom. And Kelly's like, "What is going on?" Because Bullet is such a different movie than like, like the way cop movies are made. But the chase scene is just beyond awesome. But that's another story. Um, just saying, like, oh my god, like they had been trying to remake that chase scene in Bullet for 50 years now let's be honest right. they've been trying to make that, that they they did it once and there are other great chase scenes but they've never captured that chase scene again so yeah. the seven ups the <laughs> you know um the uh, french like connection, connection you name it yeah, yeah you name it so um but, but in, in but let me but pivoting yeah, back to the odd couple you know <laughs> uh, we we talked about them we kind of mentioned them a little bit one thing that i love about this film is this is such a male film and, and I've talked about this on different podcasts. You get you get films that have certain male energy or certain female energy. This film, for the first two acts, is it's all men basically. You know, there's we have the dancer, but it, it's it's just guys interacting with other guys essentially, right? As yeah. far as our main characters. And when Simon originally wrote it, the third act did not have the date, and the third act absolutely collapsed when they did some uh, test uh, shows of it. And so they went and they rewrote it and they added the Cuckoo Pigeon Sisters. And it, it, it takes such a great turn to add these two, you know, absolutely perfect gitter, giggling, tittering British girls into this, you know, very, you know, guy intensive setting. And it's they're wonderful. I, I, I always loved the, the Cuckoo Pigeon Sisters when the first time I saw them, Monica Evans and Carol Shelley. As uh, Gwendolyn and Cecily, or is it Cecily and Gwendolyn? Uh, you know, so, and, it, and they they work so well for characters that are essentially just 
you know, stereotypes, but they're, they're again, they're believable. You can buy these two British sisters living in an apartment in New York in the late sixties and everything being one kind of big joke to them and all that. Oh, so they, I, I, to be honest, yeah. when they, when they start talking and then they're doing their little back and forth and they start giggling with each other and they just can, can, they crack each other up giggling. It is really hard not to giggle along with them. Yeah. Like it's infectious. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Like it's, yeah. I mean, I, you know, you know people like that who are it's like kind of an infectious kind of laugh. Like they start like, well, you know, it will take you know ten percent off the, the price, not your body, and you just start giggling back and forth, and you just are like, well, that's really like funny. Like you just, it makes you feel good. It's uplifting in this part. You're like, oh, cool, but then you just the meltdown that feels <laughs> just epic. I put it down the incinerator, but it won't burn twice. Won't burn twice. <laughs> well, and and what? And there's a great happy? there's a everybody <laughs> happy. There's a great bit of physical acting from Matthew in that scene when you know he sits down with the drinks. He's got the tray yeah. of drinks, and he goes, "I'm sorry, I didn't warn you about Felix. I think he's just the dearest man ever." And he just turns away, deadpans, and downs the drink. <laughs> 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 but you know it's crazy well, when you I'm think talking about, about gathering you up in her arms yeah and making a bundle out of you uh you know but it's it's <laughs> i already told my brother in cleveland but it's it's just that that whole interaction with the sisters and they're so bubbly and they're so the opposite of what all those other scenes are when it's like grubby and dirty and now i know the apartment's clean at this point but it's all that other interaction it's the different things I and mean, let's face it like the interaction when they like there, the, one, one of the other only other time there are women in the movie. There's the dancer, there's the waitress, which is a very funny scene. Um, yeah. Where you know where he's like he goes uh, you know well, I just had a I just had an ice cream cone. Give me a corned beef sandwich, all fat. All fat. <laughs> a chocolate soda, like you know, kind of thing. And it's that those small interactions, but like you don't realize when you watch this until you kind of step back, there are no women in it until that point. Right. And then once they're in there, things turn. I love, I love when they come back at the end and Vinny's like, what nice girls? Cause Vinny yeah. is just so, uh, I'll be at the Grand Floridian Hotel in Miami Beach. You're the first one I call. First one I call. Kind of- <laughs> well, but, but you, but you, you kind of hit the nail on the head. They're, they're, they're happy in their lives. Oh my and God. And you get yeah. the feeling that nobody else is. You know, yeah. the no, Oscar is comfortable in being a slob, but, you know, right. he's getting yelled at by Blanche and he has no money and all that. Yeah. And, you know, Speed is always losing. Speed looks yeah. like he should be the card shark, but he's always losing. You oh. know, Murray is, you know, Murray's a bit dim-witted and doesn't seem to know what's going on around him. And his wife is, you know, uh, uh, giving him grief all the time. Yeah, I mean, Mimi, yeah. What, what do you, what, is she pregnant again? No, just fat. How'd you hear that? I held it to my chest. Had the phone in my chest and everything. Yes. But you get the idea that you know all the, that these guys. When you really get these seriously you get the idea that these guys probably play this poker game because they all commiserate with each other more than anything else, you know. And and then Gwendolyn and Cecily are just this bright, bubbly ray of sunshine. Oh they're and they're they're probably having the time of their lives living in in Manhattan in uh, in the late sixties. And and so of course Felix has to has to decimate it. In, right. in well, I would feel I would feel like. I don't know how the how the 
I mean, think about this play. If you give it this movie or the play, however we do it, because we've read the play, and I don't, I don't know if we made that clear, Paul. We actually have the collected works with, with volume one, the collected works of Paul Simon, and Luke and I used to read the play, and we'd alternate all the parts because it didn't matter whose part was what. We had voices, and we knew how to do it. We could do the whole scene, and it just was click, 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 and it happened. I wish Actually, I'm going okay. to have to uh, just jump in and correct that it would be of Neil Simon. What did I say, Paul Simon? <laughs> Paul Simon. Because that would be the Cape Man. Yeah, no, sorry. <laughs> sorry. It could, it could be. It could be. Yes, it could be Joe Simon, co-creator yeah. of Captain America, checking <laughs> another box on the two true freaks. I don't mean to make fun of that. I just, I just felt that, yeah, knowing, right. knowing that Paul Simon actually wrote a Broadway show, though, <laughs> made me feel the need to, to point it out. Yeah. Uh, well, it could have been worse. I could have said Neil Marshall. Then we're talking about uh, dog soldiers and the descent, um, which is very different. Or, could, kind of we could have, or you could have said, and you could have said Gary Marshall, and then we've been talking about something different altogether. And then you could say Penny Marshall, but she was on the TV Actually, show. Actually, so you know what's <laughs> funny is that the, you know who else was on the you know who else was on the TV show? My boy. Paul Williams was yes, on the TV show. <laughs> we are touching all different aspects of the two true feet uh, universe here tonight. And, uh, okay, so what I was getting and at Paul was Williams we, was, of course, <laughs> in Battle of Battle for the Planet of the Apes. <laughs> <laughs> so we would read the play and we would do different parts and we would have like you know we would be like okay you be these guys and I'll be these guys and whatever and you would have conversations back and forth and it was about all about the comedic timing and how you found your voice and how different things like that. We would do it with these play. And obviously this play holds a much, you know, bigger place with us than let's say the out of towners or, um, the prisoner of second Avenue or whatever, you know, kind of thing. Um, but when you start doing that, you know, kind of part, I couldn't imagine not having the pigeon sisters in that third act because yeah. The exactly. entire play just come to a screeching halt. Like, I mean, yeah. I know Luke said that's what happened, but I could, what the heck would you want to put there? Cause you can't get, you can't just have them all being like, you know, God, everything's horrible. You need something to lift it up. You need that. You need, you need the shine on the baby face at some point. You can't just have the heel beating everyone down the whole time to use a wrestling term. There we've covered every show. And yeah. um, the idea <laughs> being is, like you need to have that be there, and in the movie, it is so like it's like a switch turns when they come in. Their their energy is frenetic, and it's just so up and crazy. And when they're like, "We're gonna get our cooking things on and bring <laughs> bring the ice, bring bring Felix," you know, kind of thing. Oh like yes, yes, bring Felix. <laughs> but they didn't know who, two minutes ago. They couldn't remember who Felix's name, and now like, make sure you bring Felix. Felix, get your Kona. We're going, you know, kind of thing. You just cooked us. You just overcooked us right through the heck of a night, you know. Um, but the and whole the, point is, the other, that, well, yeah. but even and, and but again, the film expands upon the play because now we've yeah. got the scene leading up to the date, which is not in the play. The, the yes. beginning of it is, but all of them then when they're they're playing, uh, they're playing pool, they're playing pinball, they're at the bowling alley, yes, all that yes. stuff, and yet you know it's like. And, and, you know, there's some great little, again, little bits of dialogue in there. It's like, I'd like to spend the, the evening with someone with voices higher than our own. Oh, you mean women? You want to give it a name? Okay, sure, women. You know, that's funny. I haven't thought about women in forever. I fail to see the humor. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's, it's those kind of things. And yes, there are lines in there that are, they're always funny. Um, you know, like, uh, you leave little notes in my pillows. We're out of cornflakes. F you. Took me 30 minutes to figure F you meant Felix Unger. Like things like that. Like those little lines that are just really funny lines. And 
wound up getting said often in my house. Um, yeah, you know, well, great, I, I, I the, should I should at this point I should at this point say that we were at 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 one point we were forbidden by our mother yes. to answer the house phone. With hello, divorce, divorce broke. broken, sloppy. Yeah, I, I, I do, I did do that for a lot of the summer. Yeah, um, Oscar Madison poker player. Like, I, mean, I would just, I didn't care because you know we didn't have call ID and f those people. But you know, kind of thing. We the would problem do that, is you know, we'd have, we'd have, we'd have, we, yeah, we'd have, we'd have. Uh, our, our mom's coworkers calling the house trying to reach her because she was a you know a nurse and all that and like who's this divorce broken sloppy person answering your phone I was like oh Jesus <laughs> yeah. so you know because shockingly they had no sense of humor so <laughs> <laughs> ultimately I don't even know if it's worth asking you guys the ultimate question on the movie <laughs> just, just just from the, the the way the conversation is going uh, should we should we just forego that. Well, I think we don't. We have to do that. Like, like that's yeah, part we of do. The, like, um, yeah, you know. Um, I'm um, just saying. I mean, I, I there, there've been a few where the answer the was answer. obvious. Yeah, I'm just but, saying. Uh, you know, I, I think you have to make. You know, you have to give uh, give your reasoning behind it. And yeah. uh, I'm going to tell you, I, I struggled a little bit with it because as as enjoyable as this is, and as much as it fills me with nostalgia and that 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 New York feeling and everything. It's not something that I feel like I need to put on frequently, uh, as opposed to like you know some movies like it's you know I got to watch this once a year or or you know it's not going to feel right. Uh, this if I see this every five years or so I'm good. So I so I had to think about it a lot, but I think ultimately I don't come up with any flaws in the script, the directing, the acting. So I think realistically I have to go for the top rating on it. Uh, yeah. and I'm just curious as to where, you know, I, I know where you're going to fall, but I just want to hear your, uh, your logic. Well, Jay, why don't you go ahead? Okay. Uh, so I look at this as, I mean, I would say this is the, my favorite comedy of all time. I'm trying to think of what might, what might top this. I mean, young Frankenstein's up there. Blazing Saddles is up there. Major league is up there. But this is my favorite comedy of all time, I think, pretty much without a doubt, because it just is a movie. I mean, again, it holds a lot of place with us because of when we saw it, because of my dad, because of being in New York and all that stuff like that. All those things play into it. And I think that's why sometimes some movies, you know, some people don't understand when I say, oh, my God, Predator is like one of my favorite movies of all time. They're like, really? You like that? I'm like, it's not for you. It's my choice. Right. You know what I'm saying? So to me, this movie uh, allows me. To look at 1960s New York, it allows me, which which to me is important because I love seeing like the stuff that's not there anymore. I love being able to go back, even though I wasn't alive then. I can look at that and understand what the ni- 1968 or 1967 when they filmed this thing probably New York looked like. You know what I'm saying? And I, I I remember the the city not being you know Mickey Mouse up one side and Donald Duck up the other. I remember the city being grimy and dirty and disgusting. And that still takes me back to that place, which is one of the reasons why I like movies that kind of remind me there. The, the, it is the, the, the writing is spot on. It's, it's so funny. It helps. I think it also helped me. And this is one of the things I've talked about before where to find my voice as a teacher. And ultimately that led to me podcasting and stuff. Um, I always said that it was wrestling and mystery science, three, 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 three thousand, but the odd couple actually is a lot of it. 
it's that way of just delivering lines, just being like not even putting things over because none of them are playing their lines for laughs, even if they're funny. Like it helped me kind of find my where my voice is to be able to deliver things and kind of be that not necessarily smart ass sarcastic guy, but it kind of gets some of that too, because like, just like Luke said, we answered the phone, divorce, broken, sloppy. Like it wasn't a thing to us. Like it wasn't even like, well, well, maybe we're pissing people off. F them. We don't care because it's funny and funny is okay. And I'm okay with being funny, even if there's only two people laughing. And that's one of the things that this movie helped me kind of understand. Um, I mean, I love it. This is, I mean, I, I wish I would, I, I'm trying to think of any other comedy that I even hold to the same level as this. And young Frankenstein's close. I mean, young Frankenstein's hysterical be honest with you, you know kind of thing but this is my favorite comedy of all time if this is on uh like turner classic movies like we're let's see we're going through i don't care when it is stop put an odd couple on like whatever like i won't i mean i will go grab the dvd sometimes if it's on with commercials but we'll catch it like in the third act and we'll watch the end of it like i don't care when it's on it's going on the tv we're watching it so mm. here we go yeah i mean the the you know it's the the thing about the what I've always found interesting about the Jaws scale is that it's you know it, it's not it's it's almost it it's linear to an extent the Jaws scale but it, it has it has certain parts of it that are not linear in my mind you know because there's a difference between you know Jaws three and Jaws four to me that's not linear on the Jaws scale right mm-hmm. that you know but and but uh, mathematics aside. The, this to me is, is Jaws because it is such a well-made, entertaining movie. The sign of a comedy, you know, there, there are a lot of comedies that you'll watch them the first time and they're funny. And you're like, mm-hmm. man, that was funny. And then it, it, a couple of months later, you find it on cable, you watch it and you laugh a few times. And then, the, you know, you might see it again. It's like, okay, I've seen this. You know, I don't, I don't need to watch this again. It's, it's rare for a comedy to have such staying power that you can watch it repeatedly and always be entertained by it and always laugh at it. And, and this is one of the, again, one of the few comedies for me that, that, that fits that. And again, like, like Jay was saying, this is, if not my favorite comedy of all time, it's, it's always in contention for it. I'd have to really think long and hard for a film that I find funnier than this. Uh, certainly there, there are different, you know, you, you, when you start getting into different styles of comedies, like the, you know, a Zucker brothers, um, uh, you oh, know, yeah, spoof yeah. or stuff like that. But it, this is, it's again, but it, it works on such a good level because it doesn't, I'll give a good example. Speaking of the Zucker brothers, airplane is a hilarious movie. I know more than one person who despises that film because they don't like parodies. And if that's on, we'll roll their eyes out. It's like, oh, this is, why are we watching this? Because they don't like parodies. And I'm, and I'm being completely, I'm, it's just yeah. a complete shoot. You know, there, there, there's an element of taste. This film, I've never met anyone that says, who, who, why would you watch a movie about two guys who have, have, uh, personalities that clash? You know, that, that can't be, you know, funny. It's like, this is such a great concept. It works on all, all the levels. I think having, again, Gene Sack's direction really helps the film a lot. It doesn't, it's not stagey in the way that it's shot or put together, even though clearly, as you said, Paul, you can tell, okay, this was a Broadway play. It doesn't look necessarily like one. You've got Neil Simon building on his, his, uh, you know, his, his script uh, with the screenplay, adding in new stuff that, that builds on that and gives us some more time with these characters. Everything about it just works. Again, this is another one that if it's on, I'll watch it. I mean, we've, I, I have our, you guys know I'm I'm a VHS uh, enthusiast. I'm I'm that guy. 
I still have our VHS copy that we watched dozens and dozens and dozens of times uh, back when we were growing up in New York. And I still got that same copy. And, you know, it's it still gets played and it's still, you know, I, that's what I watched for this. So this is this is Jaws. It's one of the best comedies of all time. It, it There's nothing in this that is it because it because it's set in such a specific time. It works now as a period piece. You know, it, yep. it's not trying to be hip or trendy. It's just trying to be realistic and sincere. And I've used that word a lot because I think that's the best word for it. It's a comedy that really is about. It, it's not about being ridiculous. It is broad, but it's not ridiculous. And I think that really helps it. Uh, I, like I said, it, it's just one of my one of my favorite films and a top comedy. Absolutely. I just want to throw one thing in. I think we didn't sure. mention this yet. Uh, was the um, all the different things that play in this? The music, which is Neil Hefty, uh, is, is is credited with the uh, the original as the composer, right? The music throughout the movie, which. You know, didn't, 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 like, you know, it's, it's something again, we've heard it for years, but even with the TV show and stuff, that music is so perfect. And when you hear that music, to me, it kind of elicits, like, okay, like, no problem. Like, it's, it's, because again, it brings back that memory, but the music is so perfect. Like, when, like, it slows down a little and it kind of, like, fades out, or like, it's, it gives you that, like, as if you're in the, it's, it gives you some of that play. Uh, feel like you know how like like you know they're playing like they're changing scenes and they'll play some music and then they'll fade yeah. the music out as the curtain opens. I love the scenes when the music starts fading out as you're coming into a new scene. It just it just helps you with the transitions. It just helps whatever. I think that's also what makes this movie flow so well too. I just wanted to not. I mean I know usually we talk about the music and the composers and mm-hmm. the soundtrack and stuff. Like that. And yeah, no, normally sure we fo- we fo- we follow kind of a format, but tonight. Uh... We, format. We don't need a format. Tonight, tonight was just kind of stream of consciousness. Badges. We don't need no stinking badges. That's now there you go. Sorry. That that that'd be a crossover. <laughs> you mentioned stream of consciousness. How about Will Faulkner writing the Odd Couple? That would be a totally different experience. Will Faulkner's Odd Couple. Cha-ching, right there. Write that down. That's a Kickstarter. <laughs> yeah, right there. Right there. And don't anyone steal that. We we, we know. <laughs> Before oh we call God. it a night, why don't you guys just tell everybody oh. where, where they could find you? Oh yeah, so okay, so um, if you're again, if you're not tired of hearing me, me ramble here, uh, as Luke mentioned, um, Bots, Bugs, and Babes, the B Movie Podcast. That's uh, where it's most often Dad and I, but Luke has been on there as well, and we have other guests, um, and we you know talk all about B movies um, from all the way back to you know. We're back into the, the 30s and 20s and stuff up until modern day. So um, the other one you can hear Luke and I and when you can hear Luke and I together, along with the hair metal hero, Chris Tyler, is get back to the wrestling, which is uh, our wrestling podcast. Uh, we uh, uh, we don't pull any punches there. And we talk about pro wrestling, not about what's happening now, but pro re- you know, the normal pro wrestling. Um, the other one where you can hear Luke and I together, along with the hair mill hero, Chris Tyler, and uh, you know, Two True Freaks OG himself, Chris Honeywell, is the star- the Starling Vault of Monster Horror Tales of Terror. I think I said it right. Um, that's our horror podcast um, where uh, we will talk about all kinds of horror movies. We've been hitting Hammer movies, and we go into uh, – we did uh, we just finished up series on Nightmare on Elm Street and stuff like that, so um, you can join us there. And uh, if you'd like to hear more of me, my home show, also on the Two True Freaks Network, is Earth Destruction Directive, which is a Daikaiju podcast covering all aspects of Japanese giant monsters from uh, film, television, 
television, video games, and uh, everything else in between. Uh, so if you like, uh, you know, giant monsters portrayed by guys in really heavy suits stomping around models, then that might be a show you would like to check out. <laughs> and again, all these all these shows are available on the Two True Freaks Network, which is appropriately the same place that you are listening to. Is it Jaws? There you go. All right. So thanks for coming on, guys. And I, I could I know we could go on talking for probably another three or four hours, but I got oh, yeah. but I got to hit the sack. So we're gonna call it a night. <laughs> and uh, thanks for coming on. And I'll talk to you both soon. Thanks Thank you, for everybody who's listening. All right. How long is this gonna go on? You talking to me? Yeah, I'm talking to you. What do you want to know? I just want to know if you're gonna spend the rest of your life not talking to me. And if you are, I'm gonna get a radio. <laughs> You had your chance to talk last night. I beg you to come upstairs with me. Here. Here's a key to the back door. Now, you stick to the hallway in your room and you won't get hurt. Uh, meaning what? Meaning that if you want to live here, I don't want to see you, I don't want to hear you, I don't want to smell your cooking, all right? Now, kindly remove that spaghetti from my poker table. <laughs> the hell is so funny? <laughs> it's not spaghetti, it's linguine. <laughs> Now it's garbage.